Welcome to Global River Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit globalriver.org forward slash resources. Well, this amazing what God puts together. This whole theme this morning, the waves, the battles, the ground, all of that uh, is, is really what my message this morning has been. First, let me pray. I want to... Let's just close our eyes for a second. I want to invite His presence. In Romans 15, Paul prays a prayer. For whatsoever things are written before time are written for our learning, that we through patience, peace, and comfort, the Scriptures might have our hope. Now the God of hope will fill you with joy and peace believing that we may be bound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. Lord, we just come before you. Lord, I ask that you just speak truth to our hearts this morning. God, we've come to worship you. We've set before you a time of worship and asking you to inhabit us. Now, would you fill every vacant place, every scheme, plan, and tactic, every lie, Pull down every torment. You said the weapons that we fight with, they're not carnal. They're mighty to the pulling down of every demonic stronghold. Everything that has been raised above the knowledge of Christ, we're to take it captive. God, I ask you, bring it into subjection. You told us not to be conformed, but to be transformed by renewed minds. That the washing of the word would come. It would cleanse us. God, I ask you to release your power. Hebrews 4 says the Word of God is full. It is full of the living power, two-edged, cuts between souls and spirit realm. God, would you cut through right now every lie, every scheme, every place where the God of this world has planted untruth, distortions, distractions, and lies. God, Holy Spirit, come. Train us. Equip us. Help us to see with the eyes of the one who's able to do exceedingly and abundantly above. Everything we'd ever ask or even think about, come Holy Spirit, capture our hearts now. Thank you for your word that is active. It's alive. It's active. Let it go forth now and not return void. In Jesus' name, hey, glory. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5. We're going to look in verse 1, but I want to, first I want to ask you a question. Do you relate better or easily, more easily with people that you've had like experience with? We got any veterans in the house? Lift your hands. We honor our veterans. There's something about being in a foxhole or a trench or experience with someone. How about uh, we got any mothers with preschoolers in the house? Right? I know the mops gang, right? Why do you go hang out with mom? Because we need each other, right? When, um, when you're looking for someone that can relate, when Laura's got a, my daughter Laura's got a little baby and has got some issues going on, she doesn't call dad. She calls mom, who's raised four of them. And Laura often says, Mom, how'd you do it? <laughs> right? You call out for someone that's been experienced. Why do we go to celebrate recovery or hang out with people from AA and NA? Because they know where we're walking from. Experiential things that bring us together. 
Well, guess what? Jesus did the same thing. That's why he came. Look with me in Hebrews chapter 5. Let's begin in verse 1. Every high priest is a man chosen to represent other people in their dealings with God. He presents their gifts to God and offers sacrifices for their sins. And he is able to deal gently with ignorant and wayward people because he himself is subject to the same weaknesses. That's why he must offer sacrifices for his own sins as well as those of others. And no one can become a high priest simply because he wants to. He wants such an honor. He must be called by God for his work, just as Aaron was. That's why Christ did not honor himself by assuming he could become a high priest. No, he was chosen by God who said to him, You are my son. Today I have become your father. And in another passage, God said, You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. While Jesus was here on earth, he offered prayers and pleadings with a loud cry and tears to the one who could rescue him from death. And God heard his prayers because of his deep reverence for God. Even though Jesus was God's son, he learned obedience from the things he suffered. Let me read that again. He learned, even though he was God's son, he learned obedience from the things he suffered. And in this way, God qualified him as a high priest. And he became the source of eternal salvation for all those who will obey him. And God designated him to be a high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Man, I got to tell you, that scripture threw me for a loop years ago. I'm still in the unpacking of Jesus learned obedience from the things he suffered. Now, one might say, we know Jesus is God. He's the God-man. In fact, one of his titles is the Son of God, Son of Man. He uses those different titles. So if Jesus was fully God and yet fully man, why in the world did God have to learn anything? Isn't that a good question? Come on. Well, let me try to help you unpack this. I'm not saying... In fact, that word in Hebrews 5.8, if you look it up in the Greek, and endurance means enduring the challenging process that transforms the sufferer for qualification. That fits with what Jesus was being qualified as the high priest. We know he's fully God. He was fully man. Now, this is the powerful part of this. He came as God as a, as a baby, and he laid down his divine power. Fully God. Now, I got to tell you, this seems risky to me. If I'm God the Father and I send my son in the form of a child and I trust him to sinful man, Mary and Joseph, we know the devil tries to kill him, right? The angel appears to, in a dream to Joseph and says, take my son and go to Egypt. Get out of here. And what does Herod try to do? He kills every child under the age of two. Risky. Entrust the Son of God to sinful men who have willful power that could not necessarily follow God. This desire to be qualified 
or at least subjected to this process of qualification. You see, in order for him to stand before all the angels and all the demons in all of eternity, Jesus Christ himself had to be qualified. And he came down and subjected himself, just like you and me, to every temptation. I want you to think about the most wildest temptations and failures that you've had. Now, we know he didn't fail, but he was subject to every temptation. So the word says he was tempted in every way like you and me. That qualifies him when you stand before him on the day when he calls court of heaven in order and you stand before him and he represents you as your lawyer before the accuser of the brethren. And God the Father sitting there in that place says, why should I release this one? Jesus says, I know exactly where they've been. And he declares his blood, not guilty, not guilty, not guilty. The qualified high priest is also the one who can stand in the courtroom and declare, I know exactly where they've been. All the weaknesses, all the sweat, all the weariness, all the time. He was subjected in everything like you and me. See, it would have been nothing for him to come as God and whoop the devil. But as a man who, as God man who surrendered his holy power and then gave himself over to just be led by the Holy Spirit. It is a lot of mystery upon this, but I want us to see that Jesus had divine nature, but at the time of the creation, he did not have a body as we did. And after the fall, guess what? We don't have divine nature, but we got a body. I want you to see the qualification. Follow me with this. Jesus, in his divine nature, takes on a body, a human form. We, in our lack of divine nature, we've got our sinful nature, our, our carnal man. We need qualification in the process of being accepted in the beloved. Both go through the suffering that brings qualification. We'll look at some scripture. The suffering that you and I are going through right now will be part of your qualification. There's something in the mystery of this when you stand before him and all the time that you could have rejected him. You stood strong. You repented for your failures. On that day when you stand before him, you carry those crowns of suffering before him. Jesus will produce the scars in his hands. He'll pull up the scar and say, you want to challenge me, devil? Look what I did. Now look at my people. They didn't deny me. Job didn't deny me. There's something in the qualification of the suffering that allows us to go higher in this level of the priesthood. I have had three prophetic words since 6, 11 a.m. this morning. Jack Taylor texted me. I'm laying in bed. I'm thinking about the sermon and praying about things. And all of a sudden, Jack Taylor sends me a message that just rocked my world. Two people have come up to me today and said, look, in the qualification of the suffering... I know all of us are going, we could stay in the whole day and bring out all of the suffering things that make no sense to us that we would never choose. But I guess this is where the fire, this is where the heart on fire starts to bring the revelation. Do you love me? It's nice to speak real cheap, easy words. I love you, I love you. No, it's in the trenches of the suffering that we come forward. That's the place where God brings qualification. When Job, at the bottom of your outline, when Job says, look, Job loses 10 of his children. I think it's 10, 7 or 10 children. Loses everything. Loses his health. 
And then his wife is so disgusted by the boils all over him, she says, Job, why don't you just curse God and give it up? Job's response, when his friends turns against him also, tried to tell him, well, you must have a lot of sin in your life. What is Job's response? Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. See, every one of these things, the, look, I'm not an expert in this, but I'm learning a whole lot more than I ever wanted to learn on this subject. This is coming down to trust. Will you trust him? When it's all said and done, as this thing gets worse and worse, and it's coming, you all need to get ready. That's why we need to be in church a lot more. We need to be together. It is coming. That doomsday clock, the guys who do this said it's one clock from, one tick from doomsday. It's coming, and he says, when I come back, Jesus said, will I find faith in the earth? What is faith? It is trust in him. The circumstances of life are going to get hotter, and they're going to get hotter. And God is separating out of the sheep from the goats. He is doing it. You can see it. He's separating churches from those who compromise, those who embrace homosexuality, ordaining the priesthood, those things that are just, he's, he is separating the sheep from the goats. The nations that will not honor Israel, the nations that will not stand on his word, they are already being separated. It is a time to get serious about our walk in faith with Christ. One of the tests in Hebrews, he says this. The revelation, he says, the book of Hebrews reveals that Jesus is qualified as the high priest. He lays down his divine power, but not his divine nature. He became a man who was baptized in water, baptized in the Holy Spirit, and experienced the temptation and every human weakness. Jesus' unique nature and his experience as a human makes him fully able to relate to our struggles. It qualifies him as the high priest who can stand in the court of heaven. His human life from birth to death, sweat, hunger, thirst, wounds, falsely accused, murdered. He was not learning obedience because he was rebellious. He was submitted to his earthly parents and he was submitted to his earthly father in pursuit of his will. And that's the journey being asked of us. Will you obey me? I read that. Those who obey him. You ever heard the word, you know, experience is the greater teacher? You ever had that? Why do we have vocational training? If, if you're going to go into brain surgery, would you like to have someone who's done this surgery before? Well, they read about it. When I was in training qualification on the Merchant Marine, I, one of the things we did, I made four trips across the ocean, across the uh, Atlantic, as part of qualification for my Merchant Marine License, third assistant engineer. I'd sit in my nuclear training for my bachelor's degree in nuclear engineering from theory to practice. We call it theory to practice. It's one thing when you get on a ship and it's rocking and it's rolling and it's hot and the boiler's shut down and you are in the middle of the ocean and you've got to get propulsion. You can read about it, but you want to find somebody that knows it been there before. Vocational training, whether it's nursing or mom's inexperience, the vocational training, that is the desire. So this is the practical side of why Jesus came and why we're in the midst of practical suffering. 
If you take a look at your outline, I want us to turn. I've titled the message this morning, Shipwrecked and Snakebit. Just another kingdom adventure? Question mark. Sounds really good. Preaches really good. But if you're in the midst of the storm and you're the one with the snake hanging on you, is this another kingdom adventure? Have you ever asked the question, God, where are you? Is there any good in this? Three months and eight days ago, my son was murdered. I've asked this question many times in the process. I love what Pastor Willie preached last week. I wasn't here. We were doing graduation and Mother's Day, and our oldest granddaughter graduated from UNC Chapel Hill on Friday. And Charlotte, yeah, Charlotte, you're going to get it right. And but I understand Pastor Willie was talking a little bit about spiritual fathers. And that night, I was going through a series. It was a difficult week for my, myself and my wife. And that night, Sunday night, Jack Taylor, he texted me. I was in the middle of cooking burgers for all these people and blah, blah, blah. Juan was helping. We had all these people over for my granddaughter's graduation, mothers. And, and I didn't get to talk back to him and, and text him back. So a couple hours later, Papa Jack, 84 years old, who's buried two wives from cancer, calls me and said, all right, son, what's going on? I hadn't talked to him in about a month. He goes, you need to talk to me, son. What's going on? And in the five stages of grief, he nailed it right where I was. He said, son, it comes down to, will you trust the goodness of God? Will you trust the goodness of God? Man, we need papas and we need mamas. Come on. I've called Miss Addie. Just, Lord, Miss Addie, I need you to pray for me. Lord, help me. Miss Addie gets on there and she just talks truth to me. I call my accountability partners, Kit, Mike, Willie. I said, look, guys, pray for me. It's in this midst of the trial. I want you to see this. Paul has a prophetic word that he is going to go and stand in Rome and share the gospel. And riots break out. If you remember in Hebrews, turn with you. Are you there in, in Acts chapter 27 and 28? Riots have broken out in Hebrew, and we see in, in Ephesians, the book, uh, the, in Ephesus, the whole rioting that took place. He has to appeal to Caesar. He's a Roman citizen. He gets a warning word. says, don't go to Jerusalem. They're going to try to kill you. They're plotting to kill him. They got guys in a fast that says, we won't even eat until we kill Paul. He appeals to Caesar. He goes before the governor. He goes before King Agrippa, the governor Felix, and Festus. They find no guilt in him, but yet he appeals as you go into Rome. They then assign a, a regiment of, of office, an officer in chapter 27, let's pick it up. How can you have a prophetic word? How can you have a destiny on your life and go through all of this? Verse 1, Acts 27, 1. When the time came yet to sail for Italy, Paul and several other prisoners were placed in the custody of a Roman officer named Julius, a captain of the Imperial Regiment. Aristarchus, was a Macedonian from Thessalonica, was also with us. You don't hear much about him, but he was in prison with, and you see that in Colossians. 
He was a disciple that was with Paul. We left on a ship whose home port in the north coast in the province of Asia, actually in Turkey. It was scheduled to make several stops in the ports along the coast of the province. The next day we docked at Sidon. Julius, now listen to this. this is, I want you to notice how many times it says they were very kind to Paul or his, the prisoners. There's something about kindness that engages the release of power and the blessing on a, purple, on a people group. The next day, Julius, this is the regimental commander, the guy who's in charge. He's an officer. He's very kind to Paul, and he lets him go ashore to visit his friends. Now, he's a prisoner, and they can provide for his needs. Putting out to sea from there, we encountered strong winds, made it difficult to keep the ship on course. So we sailed north of Cyprus between the island and the mainland. Keeping to the open sea, we passed along the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia, and we landed at Myra in the province of Lycia. There the commanding officer found an Egyptian ship from Alexandria that was bound for Italy, and he put us on, aboard, on board. We had several days of slow sailing, and after great difficulty, we finally neared Sinaitis, but the wind was against us, so we sailed across to Crete and along the sheltered coast of the island past the Cape of Salmon. We struggled along the coast with great difficulty, and finally we arrived at Fair Havens. It's an interesting place. That's where they should have stayed. Near the town of Lassie, we had lost a lot of time. The weather was becoming dangerous for sea travel because it was late in the fall. Paul spoke to the ship's officers about this. Here's Paul's first prophetic word, of which they ignore. Now, I want you to see something here, which I think we can take on board as a teaching point. He says, men, he says, I believe there is trouble ahead if we go on. Shipwreck, loss of cargo, and danger to our lives as well. But the officer in charge of the prisoners listened more to the ship's captain and to the owners than to Paul. Now, that's probably a natural thing, right? Paul's a prisoner. He's preaching the gospel, right? He's not a seafaring man. He's just got a prophetic word from God. So the natural order of things is, well, you ought to listen to the doctor. You ought to listen to so-and-so and the captain who makes a living out of doing this thing. Now, I'm not saying you don't, but it would be wise if someone prophetically or the word opens and you see this thing, the Lord says, don't go this way. And he's very specific, shipwreck, loss, and danger. Well, they choose not to. Let's pick up in verse 13. When, when the light wind began to blow from the south, the sailors thought it could, they could make it. So they pulled up anchor and sailed close to the shore of Crete. But the weather changed abruptly, and the wind of a typhoon strength called a nor'easter burst across the island, blew us out to sea. The sailors could, turn, could not turn the ship into the wind, so they gave up, and they let it run before the gale. We sailed along the sheltered side of a small island called Koda, where the great difficulty we hoisted aboard the lifeboat being towed behind us. Then the sailors bound ropes around the hull of the ship to strengthen it. You know you're in trouble when you're tying the ship together. They were afraid of being driven across the sandbys of Sartus into the African coast, so they lowered the sea anchor to slow the ship and were driven before the wind. The next day, a gale-force wind continued to batter the ship the crew began throwing the cargo overboard. 
The following day, they even took some of the ship's gear and they threw it overboard. The terrible storm raged for many days, blotting out the sun and the stars until all hope was gone. Talk about despair and despair. Wow. No one had eaten for a long time. Finally, Paul called the crew together. Now, that's interesting. We're going to find out there's 276 people on this ship. He calls them all together for a sermonette. Men, you should have listened to me in the first place and not left Crete. You should have avoided this damage and loss, but take courage. None of you will lose your lives, even though the ship is going down. Now, that, is, that doesn't sound good. For the last night, the angel of God, by whom I belong and whom I serve, stood before me. And he said, don't be afraid, Paul, for you surely will stand trial before Caesar. What's more, God in his goodness. How many times do we sing that? God in his goodness has granted safety to everyone sailing with you. So take courage, for I believe God. It will be just as he said, but we will be shipwrecked on an island. About midnight on the 14th night of the storm, as we were being driven across the sea of Adria, the sailors sensed the land was near. They dropped and waited line and found that the water was 120 feet deep. A little later, they measured and found it was 90 feet deep. At the rate, they were afraid they would soon be driven against the rocks along the shore. They threw out four anchors at the back of the ship and prayed for daylight. The sailors tried to abandon the ship they lowered the lifeboat as they were going, as they were basically attempting to put out anchors in front of the ship. But Paul said to the commanding officers and soldiers, you will die unless these sailors stay on board. The soldiers cut the ropes of the lifeboat. Woohoo! That ought to say something. And they let it drift away. You think they're believing Paul? Just as day was dawning, Paul urged everyone to eat. Now look at this. This is sneaky communion. <laughs> Just... I just love, I just love it. You have been so worried about and touched, you haven't touched food in two weeks. Now that's, please eat something now for your own good, for not a hair on your head will perish. Then he took some bread, he gave thanks before God, and he broke it, and they all ate it. All 276 of us who were on board, they all took communion whether they knew it or not. Paul was marking them. After eating, the crew lightened the ship further by throwing cargo of wheat overboard. When morning dawned, they didn't recognize the coastline, but they saw a bay and a beach. They wondered if they could get to shore by running the ship aground. So they cut off the anchors, the sea anchors, and let them off to sea. They lowered the rudders, raised the foresail, headed for shore, but they hit a shoal, ran the ship aground too soon. The bow of the ship stuck fast. The stern was repeatedly smashed by the force of the winds, and it began to break apart. The soldiers wanted to kill the prisoners to make sure they wouldn't escape, swim ashore and escape, but the commanding officer wanted to spare Paul. So he didn't let them carry out their plan. I believe this guy's a believer. Then he ordered all who could swim, jump overboard first, make for land. The others held on to the planks and debris and the broken ship, and everyone escaped safely to the shore. Once we were safe on shore, 
we learned that there were on the island of Malta. Just so you might know, the island of Malta, I've been there, I shipped there. The fifth fleet often pulls, it's in the Mediterranean off the, just where the boot in Italy is. It's in the middle of the Mediterranean. It's a small island. I think it's uh, 17 miles long and about nine miles across. It's part of the Maltese chain. When I shipped there, it was not a, let's say, it was not a good spiritual place. I'll just leave it there. But they end up, now look what the island of Malta, what they do. Look at the blessing that happens. I want you to see in the midst of the storm what God does. They come ashore safely. We learned that we were now on the island of Malta. Verse 2, the people of the island, there it is, were very kind to us. It was cold and rainy, so they, they built a fire on the shore to welcome us. As Paul gathered up an armful of sticks and he was laying them on the fire, a poisonous snake driven out by the heat bit him on the hand. I don't know about you, but this is about the time where it really caught shipwrecked, and now I'm snake bit? What does this have to do with going to Rome and preaching to Caesar? I'm supposed to be preaching. Come on. Now, I love this. <laughs> this brings out Mark 16. This will be the sign of them that believe. They'll cast out demons in my name. They'll handle deadly things without harm. They'll lay hands on the sick and they'll recover. Now, we don't tempt God. We don't go out and get the snakes. I've had people call, when do you do that snake thing? I said, we only do that on Sunday night once a month. <laughs> Are you serious? No, I'm, I'm, we really don't, okay? We really don't. I'm, it's wild what we get questions about. Is it true in your sanctuary you have no chairs because all you do is worship? I said, no, but that's a great idea. <laughs> all right, I'm rabbit trail. Back. So we said... So what happens? A bit bites him on the hand. Verse 4, the people of the island saw it hanging from his hand, and they said to each other, a murderer, no doubt, though he escaped the, the sea, he didn't drown, justice will not permit him to live. And Paul shakes the snake off in the fire, and he's unharmed. The people waited for him to swell up or suddenly drop dead. They waited for a long time. Nothing happened. So they changed their mind, decided he was God. <laughs> now, near the shore where they landed, just so happened was the estate of the lead guy, Publius, the chief official of the island. He welcomed us. Look at that again. He treated us kindly. And for three days, 276 of them, just so happy, here's collateral blessing. Paul's, Publius' father was ill with fever and dysentery. Paul went in and prayed for him, laying hands on him and healed him. Then all the other sick people on the island came and they were healed. Is it worth a snake bite in a shipwreck? As a result, they were showered with honors. And when the time came for them to sail, people supplied with everything they needed for the trip. You see, your gifts, they make room for kingdom and supply. There is so much on this. Now, we read these stories and go, oh, that's nice there, shipwreck. No, you don't understand. Let me, let me paint a picture for you. How many have ever been in a storm at sea? 
I was. In one of my four trips across the Atlantic, we were coming back from City to Vecchia, Italy. I'm on a 460-foot uh, troop transport ship. It was a Liberty ship built during World War II to transfer troops to Europe. My, my school that I belonged to, the, the uh, Empire, it was the ship was called the Empire State 4, TSES 4. It was such an old ship, almost nothing automatically worked, but that wasn't a problem because you got several hundred cadets who were learning how to run a ship who were on station. So we bought the ship early, we refitted it, got a good price on it. Even for ballast, they would fill the double bottoms with concrete to keep the thing stabilized. But one of the problems with Liberty ships is when they would go across sea, they'd hog and sag and they'd break apart. Many Liberty ships fell apart. This is an old ship. Well, it, best days, it could make 12 knots. We get caught in a nor'easter. We were going up over below Iceland, but we're coming back down. We're going to come through Maine, through uh, Nova Scotia, and we got caught in a nor'easter. We couldn't outrun it. You know you're in trouble when the captain of the ship, the executive officer of the ship, and the lead navigator are all so sick they can't even stand watch. Because if you're up in the ship and it's doing this, anybody ever been seasick? You know, there's a point there where you, you're, you're hoping you don't die, and then it, you hope you do die. <laughs> that, you know you're in trouble when the, the lead officer is a third officer, and he's on the deck, and he's trying to keep way on the ship so it doesn't founder. When they call out in the engine room and said, everybody who's not sick, report to the engine room. And I'm a, I'm a boot. And I'm assigned to keep the boilers operating, keep water in the boilers. You got to keep propulsion running. You got to keep the boiler full of water. But the ship is, when you're going across and you're hitting one side of the bulkhead to the other, one side of the bulkhead to the other to get to the engine room, when the lead engineer is down there, he's got a bucket strapped to his neck because he's vomited so much. And he says, son, just try to keep the water in the boiler. We got to keep way on this ship, son, or it's, we'll all die. Yes, sir. I'm telling you what, there's no atheists on that condition. I'm serious. The whole ship is buttoned up. Every watertight door is closed. When you look out and the screw comes out of the water and it's just cavitating, and then it hits and in the bow, and you look up and you can't even see the top of the waves, you are afraid. That's a storm at sea. And we did it for 36 hours. These guys are in it for two weeks. They don't eat for two weeks. Every, most of the ship is hanging on to the porcelain god called the toilet. They got their heads in the bucket. The whole ship smells like a stomach virus on steroids. I'm serious. Enough to make you sick. That's a storm at sea. That's the experience. And Paul might say, where is the goodness in this? Is this the devil or is this God? Did they not listen to the prophetic word that was given to them? Did they, by their free will, make a choice they should not have made and stayed in fair haven? I think so. But in the midst of it, God is faithful to those who walk in a storm when it's not your own consequence. This is the place where God, what does he do with the snake bite? Now, I'd be no, really, God, I thought I said, and, you know, I can give you scriptures about we'll stomp, we'll stomp on snakes and scorpions. How about that in Luke 10? In no way will the enemy harm you. You will step on snakes and scorpions. 
Well, Paul picks up sticks because he's just got coal from a fire, and the viper grabs onto him. And it doesn't say like, yeah, yeah, no, it's hanging on him because he puts them over in the fire. Long enough for those guys to know where they live. That's a poisonous viper. He's toast. And what's Paul? We, at no point do we say, oh, Paul knew something. Those people instantly came under conviction that this man knows God. Not only did they survive the sea, all 276 of them, and now he lays hands on the sick and the whole island recovers. Paul, I'm sure, planted a church there. There had to be an example of what would happen. So when you think you're shipwrecked and snake bit and God doesn't love you, remember Paul. Take a look at your outline and we'll get ready to land this thing. It says, Paul writes this in Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians and then again in 2 Corinthians. The Apostle Paul, quote, he's writing to you and to me, the church at Corinth. We think, now just say, put yourself in this. You need to, when you write, when you read these scriptures, put yourself in the scriptures. That's why, oh, yeah, it was shipwrecked and snake picked. That's nice. No, no, no. Put yourself in the shipwreck. When the ship's going down and you're in the water and the waves are choking you, that's when you're calling out to God and you're saying, God, please save me and help me. That's the scriptures coming alive at that point. You're in it. When the snake is handing on and the viper's got his leg, it hurts. That's the truth of the scriptures. Place yourself in those. Don't go casual. Wow, there's, there's a depth to the revelation of this. We want to cultivate all of the truth that's in this. Paul writes to you now. He says, we think you should know, dear brothers and sisters, about the trouble that we went through in the province of Asia. We were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure, and we thought we would never live through it. You ever been there? In fact, we expected to die, but as a result, we stopped relying on ourselves, and we learned to rely on God who raises the dead. And He did rescue us from mortal danger, and He will rescue us again. We have placed our confidence in Him. We ourselves, we're like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that our great power is from God and not of ourselves. We're pressed on every side by troubles, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed. Man, I have been perplexed. But we're not driven to despair. We're hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we're not destroyed. Now this annoys me. Our present troubles are small and won't last very long. Yet, I like this part, they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. You might want to underline the forever part. There's something about this that is the forever blessing of the qualification of your faith in the trial. Now, I preach this, the Lord's ways are not our ways. Isaiah 58, his, 
His ways are higher. Have you ever asked the question, where is my God and how can this be good? Well, you're not alone. 2A, Jesus, remember on the cross, why have you forsaken me, abandoned me? King David, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? No answer, no relief. I just listed a few of the Psalms. I read them. I was, the Psalmist, I'm up to my neck in flood water, sinking in the mire. I'm overwhelmed and I'm even too stressed to pray. Help, Lord, help. My life is full of trouble. I pour out my complaints before him. Come quickly for my depression deepens. Apostle Paul, Peter, James. Suffering just goes with kingdom living. Now I listed there in three. This is a wild, this word, I guess I've heard it before. I had to look it up. You ever been befuddled? It's not a curse word. I swear, it's, it's a legal word. Befuddled. I asked my wife last night, I said, Jen, do you know what befuddled means? She goes, yeah, that means for Clint. I go, what? <laughs> Wait, I look both of them up. Befuddled is unable to think clearly. Have you ever been in a place where you just can't think clearly? You're so messed up in all the circumstances that you're looking at, you are just befuddled. Well, guess what? Guess what for Clint means? So emotionally, you can't even speak. For Clint? Wow. That's like an example was a bride at the altar who just can't give her vows out. Like, I'm sure you did, right? Okay. Four. Let's take a look at what does Peter say? First Peter four. First Peter four twelve. Man, I want to tell you this. This is amazing. Where. Paul in the journey, when he gets, when he gets to, see, there's about to be an intersection between Peter and Paul before Nero. While Paul is in Rome for two years, he's under house arrest, but he's got a lot of freedom. He writes so many of the books of the New Testament. He writes the book of Ephesians. He writes um, 1 Timothy. Later, he writes 2 Timothy. He writes Colossians, Philippians. He's in that period. He's waiting for the trial. And God just takes, he writes all those to the churches to encourage them while he's speaking to the church in Rome. And then he is acquitted. And he goes on another missionary journey. Many of the accounts say he went to Spain. He said in Rome, he was in Romans, the last chapter, he said, I'm going to go to Spain. He's acquitted on that first trial. He goes to Spain. But then he's rearrested. Nero's power is increasing. He's burning and feeding Christians to the to the lions. He's burning them at the stake. And Peter and Paul are now arrested by, by Nero and brought back to Rome. It's there he writes, 2 Peter, he writes 2 Timothy, his epitaph. But I want you to see this. Peter writes this in 1 Peter 4 in verse 12. Dear friends, now you ought to get this on board. Put your name in here. Peter says, Dear Tom, dear Ginny, dear Sarah, dear Amber, don't be surprised by the fiery trials that you're going through. As if something strange were happening to you, Tom. Instead, 
be very glad. And I got to tell you, that annoys me. It just does. I'm trying. Be very, and it's not just like glad. It says, be very glad. It even says in the King James, rejoice. I'm trying. Rejoice. For these trials, they make you partners with Christ in His suffering. So that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing His glory when it's revealed to the whole world. Man, that'll give you a different perspective. I hate this God. But if you said I can joy and glory in it and one day it will be revealed as glory, this is where Romans 12.1 becomes real. Present yourself as a living sacrifice. Preach is easy, but it's in the nighttime, in the watch hours. Then he says, be happy, verse 14, <laughs> when you're insulted for being a Christian. I've had so many people come crying to me, oh, Pastor, they're making fun of me. I say, oh, that's awesome. For the glorious Spirit of God rests upon you. If you suffer, however, it must not be for murder, stealing, making trouble, prying into other people's affairs. But it is no shame in suffering for being a Christian. Praise God for the privilege of being called by His name. For this is the time has come for judgment, and it will begin in the house of God. And if judgment begins with us, what terrible fate waits for those who have never obeyed God's good news? If the righteous are barely saved, what will happen to the godless sinners? So if you are suffering in a manner that pleases God, keep on doing what is right and trust your lives to the God who created you and will never fail you. Peter's about ready to put his head in a place upside down to be crucified. And Paul is about to put it on a block to be cut off. And these guys write these words. So the next time you're shipwrecked and snake bit, just look at it as another kingdom adventure. What are you doing now, God? Why is this snake on me now, God? Because I want to heal a whole I want to heal a whole island. Would you be willing to have that bite, Paul, if I could heal the whole island? Well, yeah, if you told me in advance, I'd have two of them, but I didn't know that. What's the application? Number four. I believe this is the application to our kingdom living in the trials. Trust the Lord wholeheartedly. My girl sang and shared at House of Mercy on my birthday on Thursday. and It so blessed me. They, they sneaked that one right in. And they shared about our family verse in my son's Bible. In Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, we're using his Bible in our daily devotions, and it just comforts our heart to find all the places he circled. I found another Bible this week of his that he had when he was in a Celebrate Recovery system, and the whole Bible's got text and outlines and underlines. just warms my heart. And in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, in his margin of his Bible, 
has it circled and says, my dad taught me this, and we memorized it as a family verse when I was five. I'll tell you what, again, it preaches real nice, nice, comforting scripture. Trust the Lord with all your heart, and don't lean on your own understanding, but in all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He'll direct your path. But when the pathway that you are on does not look good, you cannot question His goodness. Because there's glory on the other side of it for all eternity. Trust Him when it doesn't look like He's trustworthy. Timothy was told by his spiritual dad, soldier on, Timothy, soldier on. In 2 Timothy 2, one foot in front of the other, Timothy, you just soldier on one day at a time. James says, watch your mouth. You ever had your mama say, watch your mouth, son? Watch your mouth in the midst of that storm. There's life and death in your tongue, and you will have what you say. Don't shake your fist at God. Get your prayer support from godly friends and spiritual parents. You're going to need the brotherhood and the sisterhood. Don't act foolishly. Don't try to medicate your pain in some sinful escapism. I have done over, a, I, I think, over a thousand prayer ministries. How many times people medicate alcohol, drugs, porn, gossip, hatred, oh, food, only to end up in a place in a worse state? Be careful when you're in that week to see... The devil's an, he, he is a, he's an opportunist. When Jesus is tempted in the devil and beats the devil in Luke 3, it says in the last verse, it says, and the devil leaves him until the next opportunity. He comes at you when you're down at the lowest point. That's why you need the brotherhood, the sisterhood. But then present yourself as a living sacrifice. This is the kind where we're alive and we're feeling it but I'm willing to offer you the sacrifice of praise. And then don't isolate yourself from the body. Many people want to hide. I get it. There's times you just want to pull away and go cry in a corner. But don't isolate for too long because Hebrews 10 says, do not isolate yourself from the body, especially as you see the day of the Lord drawing near. Let me just look, draw your attention. I've said this before, but Job had every right to say this. Though God might even slay me, yet will I trust him. When the disciples, many of them, it's interesting scripture, if you ever turn there, but John 6, 6, 6. That's an ugly, that's an ugly. <laughs> but it fits. It says, from that time, this is the scripture where Jesus says, he gives a prophetic word about unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you are not worthy of being mine. They have no context. They don't understand. And at, point, at that point in 666 of John, it says, from that time, many of his disciples went back and they walked no more with him. And Jesus turns to the 12. He says, are you going to leave also? And their response is, where will we go? We know you are the Messiah. You have the, you, are the, you have the life. But I'll tell you what. There are those that today are not serving God 
They've gone through a trial and tribulation. They've raised their fist at God, and they've walked away from God. They have lost their faith. They walk no more because circumstances will test you. This word will cut you. There are people that have left here because we preach the word. This word will cut you. It'll comfort you, but it'll cut you. It'll come down to, are you going to do what the Word says? Are you going to do what you want to do or the world tells you to do? This is the place where Jesus says, you going to walk with me? Well, where would we go, God? We know you have life. You're the way, the truth, and the life. Well, it's 12. Let's stand. and I'm going to invite the ministry team, if you'll come. And I want to invite the worship team, if you'll come back. Let's... I want to ask the Lord to could you grab a hand across we're going to need each other in the days ahead and you know what you may get a word from a very unlikely source <laughs> and you got to test everything every word you get you have to test Philippians we know He's begun this work in us, Philippians 1, 6. He'll perform it till the day He comes. But He also said in Thessalonians, don't scoff at prophecy, but test every spirit. God, I thank You for... We're going into a new level in the spirit realm. And we, we sense that. We Our worship... We, we, we want to go there. Now, we know we crave other things. We sing those songs, Lord, I don't want to be, I crave other things. But, but there is this thing where there is the, the prize. When Amber came out and said, he's the prize, just before that I said it in my own spirit, you're the prize that we're after, God. We're to run this race. We're to drop every weight that hinders us. And we're to run this race after you. So as we engage in this worship, this time of celebrating who he is, not everybody can go. But God, I'm asking you to raise up a remnant that will Monday through Sunday, every day of the week, be relevantly in pursuit of the King of Kings. God, be conscious of Him. God, every time the devil tries to speak, when the devil sits on one level of the shoulder and the Holy Spirit on the other, God, I ask you to bring that place where it says there's no trial, there's no temptation that's known to man that God has not provided a way out for us. That He has given us everything that we need to live a godly life. God, I ask that You would help us to turn from every defilement, from every unholy thing that entices and drives. Jesus was tempted in all ways. You can call out to the Holy Spirit who will empower us to walk out this life. God, I pray that you would come, Holy Spirit, with fresh fire. On this day of Pentecost, this Pentecost day, God, that you would bring the fire of your heart and it would burn in the fire of our own hearts, God, that we would be in pursuit of you, God. Light the fire, God. Light the fire of the 